Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, what's the latest with DACA and those living in limbo? And a new book about Brooklyn, the global borough. Hi, and thanks for joining us today. I'm Ashley Ford. I'm so inspired by the young people taking to the streets. It's a political awakening, whatever the issue they end up pursuing in life. Guns, civil rights, income inequality. Now, some would like to be cynical, like the NRA, which stands to lose money and membership and power. They want their members and anyone who tunes into NRA TV to believe what they saw Saturday is a conspiracy against the Second Amendment, that Hollywood elites and billionaires have put the kids up to this, exploiting their greed. You can tell they're scared. They have reason to be. Congress actually included some gun control measures in the recent spending bill. Pretty bland ones, but still. And all the NRA can muster is their Facebook post on Saturday saying, quote, today's protests aren't spontaneous. Yeah, don't be fooled by those phony kids. Okay, they're right. They weren't spontaneous. They had to apply for permits, and they needed coordination and communication between the different folks that would be joining the march. They had to answer questions, kind of like questions on tests, but easier. Are there going to be stages, speakers, tents, food, porta-potties? Of course they got some help with setting all this up. I'm 31, and I would need help setting all this up. But I guess we shouldn't give kids credit for having genuine emotions, inclinations, concerns, beliefs, or the capacity to organize. Don't give them that. Just give them guns. At NRA Youth Days, not sure if they're still doing them, but they did in 2014, kids the same age or younger were given free membership and an opportunity to win a high-powered rifle. You can't march, but you can definitely shoot. Well, I say shoot for the stars. All you crisis actors, proxies, and pawns, enough of us have your backs, and your aim is true. On the show today, we'll learn the latest on DACA. Congressional deadlines have passed, so what does that mean for those in limbo? Then a new book talking about the ebbs and flows of this great borough. It's called Brooklyn Tides, and we've got the authors on hand. But first, some things. A New York state senator is proposing a state-funded research group dedicated to understanding mental health and gun violence. Roxanne Persaud from the 19th Senate District says the group is needed in order to understand the underlying issues of gun violence, what causes people to access guns, and then what causes them to use them as weapons. I would say they access them because they can, and they use them as weapons because they are weapons. But I'm not a researcher. I'll leave it up to the experts assuming this wins passage. It's taking six months since Hurricane Maria to get the power restored to 90% of Puerto Rico. To make sure the power grid's not in such a precarious state for next hurricane season, some are betting on solar energy, including a Brooklyn architect, Jonathan Marvel, who spent part of his youth on the island. During the recovery, he brought solar generators and batteries to the island and set them in community centers. Now he wants to do something more long-term, like getting solar to contribute up to 10 percent of the island's energy needs. It won't be cheaper, but for places that absolutely can't afford to have the power go off, like hospitals or wastewater treatment facilities, it should be more reliable. Brooklyn shrank last year. No, it wasn't another Rick Moranis movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Borough, or The Rising Sea Level. Well, sort of. It was Population. 
According to the latest census numbers, Brooklyn lost about 2,000 people in 2017. Could it be that we really are experiencing a creativity or brain drain as artists and activists decamp for Philly or L.A. in search of cheaper rents? Could be that, coupled with the improved economy, which means there are also jobs in these places with cheaper rents. Gentrification, you're bringing me down. Well, my numbers, at least. We'll talk about some of these forces later in the show. Stay tuned for our first chat. When the Trump administration ended President Obama's executive order, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, 800,000 lives were plunged into uncertainty. The current president set a deadline of March 5th for Congress to come up with some kind of legislative solution, and then he stood in the way of any agreement. So the deadline passed, and if it wasn't for two court orders keeping DACA in place, for now, those 800,000 would be subject to deportation. And then a budget was just approved, again, with no DACA provisions. So what's up? To help us understand the latest developments, we have back on the show immigration rights activist and lawyer Cesar Vargas. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me again. Cesar, you were supposed to be on, I think, like a couple weeks ago. It got canceled. Something came up. You had to, like, get back to work really quickly. Can you talk to us a little bit about what happened there? Well, there's obviously right now within this uh, climate— uh, especially on this uh, Trump administration being aggressive on detaining and arresting undocumented immigrants. Right. You know, he's saying that this administration is going to focus on the bad hombres, mm -hmm. uh, he's going to focus on people with violent criminal records, when, in fact, that's not the case. We're mm -hmm. seeing where, uh, most recently, we had CUNY students uh, who had been detained. We have people who didn't commit any type of violent criminal record, mm -hmm. who were picked up, and now the campuses are trying to find out how they can help, uh, as well as to, to ensure they have legal counsel uh, right. to really face this type of charges on that. And there was a veteran very recently also who you were trying to help shield from deportation. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so just this weekend, unfortunately, a veteran uh, who served two tours in Afghanistan uh, was detained and deported. He was mm -hmm. diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, he had a criminal record with drugs, um, mm -hmm. like many veterans have have uh, have a situation, especially when they come Absolutely. back from war and mm -hmm. have to confront and reinstate into society. You know, this veteran was you know didn't commit any type of violent uh, offense, didn't had a violent criminal past. Mm -hmm. This was a veteran who simply needed issues, and this administration right. seeks saying that we love veterans, we love our military, yeah. and we're going to help them, but. This is now a nation that's supporting its own veterans. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about all this, because we keep talking about uh, what's happening right now under the Trump administration. I have to think that some people who are tuning in, whether by watching or listening, need to be brought up right. a little bit to, like, what exactly is happening? Like, what, especially with ICE, why do they feel so, I guess, empowered now to go after people who are veterans, people who are students, people who are doing exactly what we say every day Americans should be doing? Right. So so, you know, it, it really starts with, with the Obama administration's priorities on immigration when he was in office. Mm -hmm. He set in place that we are going to go after the worst of the worst. We're going to go after people with violent criminal records. We're going to set priorities. We're going to go after terrorists. We're going to go after people with violent criminal records, people mm -hmm. who have recent border crossers. Uh, but everyone else, if they are 
doing everything as you said in their country living and living the American dream we're not going to pursue them until we pass some type of immigration form right under this administration we're seeing that not only see going after people with violent criminal records but they literally unshackle immigration customs enforcement the new priorities have are clearly said that we are going to go after people with violent criminal records but we're, we're not going to exempt any, anyone. If you are there, uh, if a parent's there, if a grandmother's there, if a student's there, we're going to detain, arrest, and, and if he, that person's found deportable, that person's going to be deported. So we are definitely right. seeing a climate where anyone is right. up for grabs, anyone can be detained on this administration. And just the fact, just in terms of raw numbers, mm -hmm. we're seeing a 100, 171% uh, increase of people with no criminal records being detained and deported. Wow. Uh, so, you know, we are seeing this— Is that nationwide? Nationwide. Or? Nationwide. Wow. In, on, the, on the Trump's administration's first year in office, we saw an explosion of people being arrested mm -hmm. and going through immigration proceedings and their due process. Right. But again, with this administration, with Gen uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who is pretty much taking away that discretion away from immigration judges to— grant some type of re relief for immigrants, mm -hmm. obviously we're going to see an increase of deportations, including with different policies coming in ahead. Whew. So a lot to keep our eyes on. Absolutely. Specifically with DACA, what is the law of the land right now as it pertains to these 800,000 folks? Yeah, so after the president announced DACA would be terminated on September 5th of, two, of last year, mm -hmm. uh, he gave Congress six months until March 5th to actually come up with a legislative solution to create a path to citizenship for DREAMers. Obviously, the date came and went with no solution, and many right. young people are in limbo. Fortunately, the federal courts did step in and said, Mr. President, you did not have—you did not go through the right process to terminate this program. You have the, pro the power, but right. you, to the, you cannot— you don't, no president has the constitutional authority to discriminate or to use any type of racial animus to target a group. And mm. how this administration has said that, hey, uh, Mexicans are rapists, Mexicans are criminals, uh, right. immigrants from Africa and Caribbean are, are come from shithole countries, that right. person does not have the authority. And the federals did step in uh, right. and uh, allowed DACA to continue indefinitely until we have, obviously, a solution through the courts. But, again, that's not a path to citizenship young people can still get picked up. And under this administration, even if you have everything done right, mm -hmm. this person could be detained in the country they don't, they haven't seen for 20, 30 it's years. It's no way to leave, even, even if they have DACA. Absolutely. That, that is no way to live. Um, last month, in an article for HuffPost, you wrote, the Fourth Amendment will and must continue to be a check on the government's unlawful intrusion on our liberty. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and how it specifically pertains to DACA and to, you know, these immigration reform issues that we're seeing right now? Yeah, well, you know, I think one of the most important things of this country has been that I think we all hold very dearly as Americans or as people who come here is that the Constitution protects basic liberties mm -hmm. and the Constitution also protects immigrants as well. Right. It protects people who, who are just living here and doing right. Now, and there are a lot of people who are going to say, well, doesn't that just pertain to American citizens? Isn't that, aren't those my rights because I was born here or because I went about it the right way? Like, what do you say to that? Well, the Constitution says the right of all people to be mm. uh, free from unreasonable search and seizure and to be protected from that. So, you know, the, the obviously citizenship has certain privileges and they should be like uh, voting, like, uh, like many other issues. But the Constitution and the framers found that, no, we need to protect everyone here because if we start taking uh, protections away from one group, 
there's no question that we're going to start taking protection from other groups. And yep. what we're seeing is the Customs Border Patrol, the agency responsible for protecting our borders, are, are pretty much uh, interfering in people's rights at the border. They're going into private property, installing, pro uh, installing cameras. They're, going, they're asking U.S. citizens uh, their immigration status, even when they're away from the border. Mm. Uh, and again, we have seen where U.S. citizens have been detained and picked up as well because they didn't have their identification. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is not just about immigrants. This is not just about uh, a person who just came here for, for and most recent. This is really about all our rights. So, right. you know, to what extent are we going to tolerate uh, okay, are we going to take away the rights from these people? But who's next? Right. Uh, anyone could be next. Anybody could be next. That's something that you hear about human rights violations around the world. It's a very popular quote, you know, first they came Absolutely. for those who first they then they went for that, but eventually they came for me. That's how these things work. Um, a few weeks back, Jeff Sessions filed a lawsuit against the state of California over sanctuary city laws. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what a sanctuary city means? Because there's a lot of different commentary right. on that that people say. And also, um, what happened in California with Jeff Sessions in this lawsuit? Like, what could that possibly mean for sanctuary cities across the country? Yeah. Well, legally, it's, a, it's really one of those epic battles between the state and the federal government when right. they're clashing on rights. Uh, sanctuary city, there's many definitions of a sanctuary city, but mm -hmm. what the general understanding is that a sanctuary city is those jurisdictions that do not cooperate with federal immigration agents mm -hmm. to detain or to share information with uh, with local authorities uh, like ICE, like the NYPD. You know, they're not going to connect. Yeah. Obviously, New York City has been uh, welcoming when it comes to uh, sanctuary city by providing legal services for immigrants, by providing right. translation services. So, something that New York City has but doesn't. But what we're seeing now is, most important, is that when the federal government tries to uh, attack California by saying, California better watch out, we're going, mm -hmm. we're going to go hard on them, you know, it's, this is pretty much saying that the, the cities like, like San Sacramento, where the mayor pretty much announced that they were going to protect immigrants, what, what the federal government and General Jeff Sessions cannot understand is that, yes, the federal government does have authority over immigration, mm -hmm. but states and cities have expansive power to protect their own residents, right. regardless of immigration status. And this is exactly what's happening here. Mm -hmm. You know, sanctuary cities are not preventing immigration customs enforcement agents from operating. They're still here. Immigration agents are still making arrests in New York City, in Sacramento, in San Francisco, you name it. But what they're saying is that you cannot come in and compel our officers like the NYPD right. to do your job. One, right. that's unconstitutional. But also, mm -hmm. if you mesh those two agencies, we, it's less safe for all of us because immigrants are going to be less are going to be reluctant to report crimes, right. making our streets even unsafe for all of us. Right. Uh, and I think that's what sanctuaries are trying to do, and that's what Attorney General Jeff Sessions is just has an immigration agenda. Mm -hmm. He has been one of the most anti-immigrant. Right. Uh, uh, legislators in Congress f before he was Attorney General, and he's bringing that policies into into the which we government. expected. Absolutely, Cesar. We only have about a minute left. In that minute, can you very quickly tell me what's next? What should we be keeping our eyes on, especially as it pertains to DACA? Well, on DACA, you know, for, unfortunately, we didn't have a solution. The federal budget came with no mm -hmm. with no DACA solution. Only one point six billion dollars for the wall. Right. But we're we're seeing that. Uh, elections matter. 2018 are going to be very critical. Mm -hmm. But also we need to make sure that we're seeing the up, upcoming deadlines like 
uh, the, the, like Liberian community, immigrant community, is losing their their the temporary protection status temporary on March thirty first. Yeah. That right. could really mean that uh, a whole. A group of people are going to be subject to arrest and possible deportation. Right. Uh, and this is other some things that we're also looking out for. And ultimately, you know, we the federal government is not doing its job. It's right. what we in New York City can do. Uh, Governor Cuomo has the power to issue a driver's license to all its residents, regardless mm -hmm. of immigration status. That's something that could protect people. That's something that could allow people to go to work, right. pick up the children, and actually live uh, live safely here. Right. So those are the things that so many things can happen. But ultimately, the fight between the Trump administration's aggressive deportation machine mm -hmm. is still going on, and the community is still resisting that. Fantastic. Well, not the first part, but the second <laughs> part. Definitely fantastic. Cesar, thank you so much for being here. Thank today. you so much for having me again. I spoke to a co-worker who recently went to Paris. He met some Parisians, told them he lived in Brooklyn, and they were like, no way, that's so cool. He described it as envy from people living in Paris. Surprising? Well, Brooklyn is a global brand, and so much is happening here with food, culture, politics, that yeah, it's a happening place. But are we blowing up too big? and in danger of risking all that we've become and ending up a Madame Toussaint's tribute to a once-hip DIY city? And what about the side of Brooklyn that most people encounter that's nothing like the coffee table book ideal? Looking at some of these issues, how we got here, where we are, and where we're going, in a new not-coffee-table book are two professors from City Tech and co-authors of Brooklyn Tides, The Fall and Rise of a Global Borough. We welcome Ben Shepard. Thanks for joining us on Thank 112 BK. And Mark Noonan. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. So can we just start with a conversation with Ben? Um, we just had a headline before we even started talking to you guys in the show about the fact that people have left Brooklyn. Brooklyn's numbers got lower. Is this a trend? Um, we also alluded to the fact that, you know, it might be because of gentrification. Does that hold any water? I mean... Homelessness in New York City, it's not rocket science. If people can't afford right. a place to live, they end up homeless. Our, right. our students don't live near the college. Our right. students live in deep in the Bronx, and, and they, they take trains across Queens to get to downtown Brooklyn. It's not affordable. Right, right. So what do we do about that? Mark, do you have any idea about, like, I mean, is there something that we do about that, about the fact that, like, we're losing people? Should we be worried about it? Of course we should be worried about it. We're all feeling the, the effects and at the heart of our book is this argument that people are being pushed out. And there are um, a lot of steps that we can take. Um, there's a, there actually is a quote. We, we have a quote from Spike Lee that actually talks about um, people being pushed further and further and further, almost into the yeah. Atlantic Ocean. Right. You know, and um, how are we going to stand up against this tide of development, the, right. the, the glossy buildings? And, and, yeah. and, and I think that uh, both uh, myself and, and especially Ben, um, you know, power to the people. Mm -hmm. This is our borough. You know these these global forces seem larger, invisible, mm -hmm. but but it's but it is up to us. Affordable housing, mixed right. use development, right. 
it, 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 it's up to the people. Talk to me about, like, you know, you're talking about these global forces, right? And in this book, you guys cover a lot. You cover the Lenape. You cover the <laughs> Dutch. You cover George Washington. Like, all of this is happening in the book. Um, and it brings us to today. That's a lot of ground to cover. The sea of but identical these, details. Yes. That's the one yes. we're worrying about. If right. Brooklyn thrives with diversity. Mm-hmm. That's with the mix of stories and people. And how did we get here? And we have the opportunity to have all the ingredients of sustainable urbanism here. Mm-hmm. We have great, beautiful community gardens. We have an awesome transportation system that could be better, but we still have a system of bike lanes right. and uh, public transportation and diversity in mm-hmm. an engaged populace that right. really cares. Right. So there's something really special here. And I think let's, let's let it take care of itself. I mean, right. But I think the developers are getting in the way in pushing people out. And yeah. groups like Equality Flatbush are doing excellent work of trying to say, we've got to preserve it before it's gone, mm-hmm. because it's beautiful. The murals yeah. of Brooklyn, are, uh, it's, it's a, a city that it's a work of art. Right. But it could disappear, and we could get, we could get lost in it with another Starbucks and with another glossy right. building. And so, what is it? And Mark, I'd love if you could answer this question, especially like with a group like you know Flatbush Equality. What is it exactly that they're doing that's potentially helping us avoid some of these you know harder truths that we're going to have to face soon if we don't start doing something here? Uh, at the core, you know, at the core of urban living is is um, c- can you afford to live here? Right. Protecting, you know, mostly renters' rights, mm-hmm. um, and providing you know affordable housing and making sure that it is um, affordable. Um, also, you know, Brooklyn has the largest uh, number of people living in, in, in public housing, mm-hmm. and you know the conditions um, you know need need to be um, improved. And oftentimes, the you know the, the public housing is is kitty corner. To to um, to go, you know, um, brownstone buildings, right? Um, um, and th- not only do you know people um, from various groups need to and various classes need to coexist, but right. there needs to be protections in place, and there needs to be a genuine interest right. from from the politicians and, and and the people that you know you know vote to yeah. to to. Um, to see that it's important enough to um, retain this diversity yeah. and across classes. And it really yes. is a large issue because, you know, Brooklyn historically are, um, is, was a, a place of work. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we, we, you know, Brooklyn, you know, historically are the, are the workers. Um, but now the question is, where are they going to live? Yeah. And the Even elders. Have, Let's make the sure elders. the elders have a place to live. The young people, the elders, the right. college students. I mean, that's what's going to make this continue to be a vibrant place. But if it's only one group that can afford it, the one percenters, it's going to be a little boring. The art won't be here. Ben, it's so clear to me, and from both of you, um, but from the minute you sat down, it was very clear to me that both of you are super passionate about the subject matter, and that this book is something that has a lot of your passion for the research and for, you know, to be perfectly honest, the future of Brooklyn in it. Which makes me wonder, like, how did you guys even get to a place where you went, we're we going to selflessly do dedicated this. ourselves to evenings at Barbez and Brooklyn Inn, yeah. researching <laughs> the discussions of the day yeah. uh, with a few pints. Look, Brooklyn's a place of lots of stories. Mm-hmm. And if you can tap into them, it's really wonderful. Yeah, I yeah. also would add that we come from different angles. We, we share mm-hmm. a lot of the you know, same feelings as, as Brooklyn, Brooklynites um, and, you know, as, 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 as scholars. Um, and, um, you know, I come from an angle of, um, 
I moved here as a transplant. Right. And like so many who were drawn here, um, we're drawn by you know the diversity, but also the, the, the you know the beauty of the of the wa the water and the industrial right. um, landscape. So so you know my my perspective was one of a of a cultural historian. And thinking about that, that, that other thing that draws so many um, creative um, types or uh, progressive types, um, uh, intellectuals, that too has been his historically so important to Brooklyn. Right. And you know, you, you know, we you know we see it even in in, in the cover, the, the the not just the right. you know, the industrial past, but also you know the, there's the, the you know the model for the Black Lives um, right. you know movement, um, and there's the globalization and um, Hokusai's great wave. Right. Um, you know, we're drawn, we're, we're all drawn here for a, a place of otherness, a place of authenticity, a place of creativity, right. um, as well as diversity and a, a lived, you know, neighborhood. But if someone asked you right now, and, I, and I'd love your answer to this, Ben, if someone asked you, what is this book about, and you had to tell them in a sentence, what would you say? I, I would say there's an argument that globalization, the forces of globalization are beyond our reach, mm -hmm. out of our control. What I'm saying is, what we're saying is, there's a long history of, from Lenape forward, people resisting mm -hmm. and people creating something beautiful in their resistance. Right. I mean, the Underground Railroad, within feet of here, where we're sitting here doing the interview, there have been people out here saying, there's another story here. Right. Go west. There's another story. We can find that story. And I moved here in 2000 after I, my favorite community garden got bulldozed in the Lower East Side. Mm -hmm. And I moved to Carroll Gardens, and I loved it. But then there was the 2004 rezoning of Williamsburg, mm -hmm. and it was like gentrification on steroids. Right. And the, I loved the resistance, the Williamsburg mm -hmm. warriors, the old, time, old folks, the, right. the folks from Coney Island, people getting out and saying, right. there's something beautiful in Brooklyn. Let's not just zone it all away. Right. And so it's also something really beautiful. Uh, and I think right. we've won a lot. We've created zoning restrictions in Carroll Gardens. Mm -hmm. We've beaten back big box stores. There's no Walmart here. We organized to keep no Walmart out. And the old businesses in Coney Island, they're there because people love them. Right. I mean, except for Shoot the Freak, which I missed. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of those businesses, they're there because the organizers love them. Mark, let me ask you this really quickly um, before we before we run out of time here. Um, I wanted to ask, do you think it's too late for Brooklyn? We know one of those are the things we're actually come from slightly different perspectives, mm -hmm. I think, that um, in the title, we purposely, you know, called it the fall and rise of global bro uh, borough. Right. And there is... You know, there is pessimism. There is the history of, of failure mm -hmm. of, of of Brooklyn being uh, decimated, and, and right. you know, so I, you know, actually working with with, with Ben and, and 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 thinking about these matters, I, I have been, um, uh, uh, you know, that optimism, you know, has has returned. Right. Um, the excitement of writing this book, I think that it's, I think that little steps together, and I think mm -hmm. that it's possible, but. You know the, the the forces of globalization are, are, are quite mighty, and the one percent right. you know seem to be um, they're 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 tough um, they're tough um, 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 uh, uh, right. for, so, formidable adversary. So there's a so okay so uh, I feel like then it's going to be really important for people to check out the launch event for the book. Can you tell me really quickly about the launch event? Well. We're going to continue the conversation at Interference Archive on 7th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue in Brooklyn mm -hmm. tomorrow. And we have 
for the launch event. Can you tell me the date really it's, quickly? It's, it's March 27th mm -hmm. at 7 p.m. at Interference Archive yeah. on 7th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue. Um, we wanted to bring in some artists and activists who've been involved with Black Lives Matters, the Church of Stop Shopping, Transportation Alternatives, mm -hmm. some uh, to uh, to talk about these ongoing struggles. It's right. the, these dialectical forces that are mm -hmm. pouring through Brooklyn. I mean, uh, it's never over. Right. I mean, even if you lose a game, you always have to retie your shoes up because there's going to be another game tomorrow. Like right. it's never there's over. There's always a fight to be and had. There's always something. I to talked speak with up some from. guys in the garden in in Bushwick Community Farm yesterday and mm -hmm. yesterday in Bed Stuy, and we had a nice warm bonfire in the garden, and we were having a great day. And they may lose their space, but they're mm. still organizing. Right, and they're still fighting, and they're still doing and the building work. community. That to me screams optimism. Sure, by the sure. way, because I have some faith in Brooklyn. I'm with you, Ben. We're going to be able to do this, I think, together. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you Thank for you. having I us. I really appreciate it. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Thank you. Oh, I love the handshake. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. On tomorrow's show, we'll talk about social media and the security of your data, an initiative to bring solar power to Brownsville. And our resident laughaholic talks up a live comedy event here at Brick House. Hope you can join us. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It's also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Bargy, Emily Bogosian, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, Charmaine Lamb, and is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our show is recorded by Eric Hogsack, Antonio Rosario, Leslie Hayes, and Steve DeSev. And our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.